This morning we continue our series written on our hearts. We'll be in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, you can get there. For those of us who have been around here at Big Sky Christian Fellowship for uh, this series, we are in week four of memorizing scripture. We want this scripture to be written on our hearts, not just our heads, but we want it to get down deep into our hearts and to transform us and our lives. And so, okay, quiz time. We're doing it. We're doing it every week. We've got three passages Alright? The first week, week number one, we had a very short passage. I think everybody in the room knows it, okay? And that verse was John 11.35. John 11.35, and what was it? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That was an easy one. That was a softball pitch for you to hit out of the park. So you have at least memorized one passage this morning. We talked about how God, uh, how Jesus embraced grief. How he came near to us, that as Jesus becomes flesh, John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That God relates with us. He's not a God that's far from us, but that he relates with us even on an emotional level. So uh, week one was Jesus wept. Week number two was Don Lunston. We were in Galatians, Galatians 5, 22 through 24. Anybody feeling brave this morning? Anybody know it? Come on now. Come on, somebody. We're just going to sit here in awkward silence because this is our memory. Come on, Brad. Uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, gentleness. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5. Good. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. You should go home and study that. I'm just saying. Okay. Let's see if we can do better. Last week. Week number three, anybody want to be bold? Anybody want to be brave and try week number three? It was out of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Anybody want to be bold? I'll give you a hint. It starts with the Lord. Come on, Becky. Come on, Becky. The Lord bless you and keep you. To shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yep. The Lord... Turn his face toward you and give you his peace. There we go. All right. We've got three of them. All right. We got to know these. We got to have these written on our hearts, right? We don't want them to just be in our heads. We want them to be in our hearts. So I really want to challenge you this week, right? Go home, memorize these verses. I started you off easy. And here's the problem. We're halfway through the series and these are the easy ones. Okay? The hard ones are coming. The long ones are coming. So if you don't have the first four memorized, you're going to have a really hard time catching up in weeks five through eight. Okay? So this week, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. The written on my heart verse of the week. Let's all say it together. We'll put it up on this. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A simple passage 
that might hearken unto, unto this question. What does God want for you? What does God want for your life? Have you ever thought about this question? Maybe you've come to a moment in your life and you said, what is God's will in this moment? What is God's desire in this moment? What does God want for me in this moment? And the question is, if you sat across from Jesus tomorrow morning and you had breakfast, what might he say to you? If you asked him this question, hey Jesus, what do you, what do you want from me? See, there's some things in that conversation that are just for you. Some, some personal things about um, God's will in your life. and Some sins that maybe you're struggling with that God's wanting to kind of call you out on. There'd be a very personal tone to that conversation. But there would also be some very simple words of encouragement and challenge to you. And I believe that it'd be simple for Jesus to sit in front of you tomorrow morning at breakfast and say this. Hey, I got some things I want from you. And they are this. I want you to be joyful. I want you to be prayerful, and I want you to be thankful. Say those with me. I want you to be joyful. I want you to be prayerful, and I want you to be thankful. This is my will for you. The complexity of God's will is far more complex than I have time to deal with this morning, but there are some very knowable things about God, some things that are crystal clear for us. And in this passage, we come across three things that are crystal clear for us. And it sounds so simple. I say you go this week and, and be joyful, be prayerful, and be thankful. We go, oh, that's simple. I can do that this week. But I want to pose to you this, this thought. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. See, see, we have enemies against us. As you go out tomorrow morning, you're going to have enemies against you. Um, you're going to have this enemy. You. Okay? You are your own worst enemy sometimes. Correct? And you're going to get in the way of being joyful, being prayerful, and being thankful probably sometime this week. You have other people in your life. And they're, guess what? They're going to get in the way of you being joyful, being prayerful, and being thankful this week. You have spouses and you have kids who make it really challenging and wonderful mothers, right? Wonderful to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. And beyond that... We know from the book of Ephesians that our battle is not just against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers of the devil himself. And he doesn't want you to be joyful always. He doesn't want you to pray continually. And he does not want you to give thanks in all circumstances. He does not want that for your life. See, I think that this passage reveals three daily battles for your soul. Three daily battles for your soul. Number one, the first everyday battle is this. Joyful versus hopeless. Joyful versus hopeless. The command is simple. Be joyful always. But what does that mean? Let's unpack this word joyful for a little bit. Does that mean that you smile all the time? That you laugh all the time? That you just... Be happy? Is that what it entails? Is joy just happiness? I was watching The Greatest Showman, is it The Greatest Showman on Earth? The, the P.T. Barnum movie about P.T. Barnum and the circus. And at the end of it, there's this little P.T. Barnum quote that says, The greatest good a man can do is to make another man happy. And I thought, oh, that's nice for a moment. But is that, is that what we're talking about here? See, I don't think that's what we're talking about here, Right? Because there are things in life that make me happy. Springtime makes me happy. Anybody happy about springtime after this winter? Okay, all right? 
very, very happy, right? Any of us, um, any of us happy when we see a good movie? Good, happy when you see a good movie. Happy when you're with some good friends and you laugh and you have a great time together. You're, you're happy, right? But, but there's just things that influence our happiness. We know this. Our happiness kind of comes and goes because there's the opposite extreme of this as well, right? There's sadness. And there's a few things that make me sad. Does this make you sad? Uh, the opposite of springtime. When it snows in July, does that make anybody sad? Right? I'm just, for you that are new to the community, might happen. Just fair warning, okay? Last time I was home, I said to my parents, I love Big Sky, but it's been snowing for eight months straight. Okay. Um, there are other things that make me sad. Bad news makes me sad. Um, death makes me sad. In my position, I deal with a lot of death and sickness and illness. We mentioned a lot of things this morning that we don't just get happy about. We, we get sad about and so the question is, if joy goes above and beyond this, is it, is it a primary emotion instead of a secondary emotion? Maybe, maybe happiness and sadness, these other emotions are maybe secondary emotions. And that for a Christian specifically, for Christians specifically, joy should be a primary emotion. See, joy can be found in both happy moments and sad moments, peaceful moments, frustrating moments. When things are at their best, when things are at their worst, for a Christian, joy can always be found. Paul just isn't saying this so that you can maybe just just not have it. He says, be joyful always. Which means, yes, you can be joyful always. So we need to define joy. Pastor and theologian John Piper defines Christian joy as this. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Now, if you know John Piper, you're not surprised by how long that definition is, okay? But let me, let me say it for you again because I think it's very good. Christian joy is a good feeling. So it's an emotion, right? And it's experiential. It's something deep within us. It's a good feeling in the soul. Not just in the mind, in the soul that is produced by the Holy Spirit. Meaning we don't produce it ourselves. The Holy Spirit in our lives produces it for us and causes us to see the beauty of Christ in God's Word and in the world. Or you could say it like this, right? Christian joy is a soulful expression. It's an emotional experience and it's a gift of God. As we see Jesus everywhere. As we see Jesus everywhere. Do you see the difference between this and between happiness? See, the question isn't, is Jesus everywhere? The question is, do we see Jesus everywhere? Do we see Jesus as we study the word, as we pour into this word, as we write this word onto our hearts? Do we see Jesus in every page of this text? And then go beyond that. Do we see Jesus in the world around us, in the beauty that we find in a place like this? Do we find Jesus in the simple moments, in, in, the, in the normal moments? Do we find Jesus when we're, when we're plumbing and when we're also loving our kids and when we're going to school? Do we find Jesus in these moments? This is where joy is found, John Piper would say. 
A joy is found in the Holy Spirit revealing these things to us as Christians. And and I want to say this. I think that Christians are the only ones that can honestly have real joy in this life. Honestly. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm so glad you're here. Um, And and I don't don't want to throw stones at you or anything like that. But I just want to say this. Our joy is found not in the worldly things, not in the temporal things. Our joy is found in the author and perfecter of life, Jesus, whose name we proclaim each and every Sunday, each and every breath of our life. This This is why we have joy. And I think beyond Jesus, there is no true sense of joy. There might be some temporal senses of joy, but I don't think there's any true joy outside of loving and seeing and knowing Jesus. And there is a war against this joy each and every day. See, joy, it's this deep-seated, soulful hope that is found and seen in Jesus throughout our lives, but the war against joy is hopelessness. See, I wrestled with this because I thought, well, it could be hatefulness, it could be um, sorrow. Um, but Tim Keller, uh, a great, great theologian as well, pastor and theologian, says this. Uh, um, joy, the opposite of joy, is nothing less than hopelessness. And, and I got to thinking about that this week, and I think that he is right. Because the whisper of the enemy, the whisper of the world, the whisper that we tell ourselves is that there's no hope. There's no hope. That in the midst of trouble and hardship and turmoil, there's no hope. And therefore, there's no joy. It's this fatalistic thinking that you can see everywhere that says we should live for this moment. This is the best you got. You got one life to live. And that's just a it's just an outright lie. Because for those who are found in Christ Jesus, we have hope. And we have joy. We know that this life is not the only life. That this life is just a, a shadow, a mist, it's a blink of the eye. It's it's just just nothing compared to what is to come. And beyond that, we know that we don't walk this life alone. We walk this life with Jesus and that he is in every single moment. He is with us, prompting us through his spirit to see him in his word and in the world. And so it's a matter of perspective. If we're looking at the world, if we're looking at the things of the world, we will not find hope. We will not find joy. But if we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we will find joy. We will be joyful always. I can attest to this. I know some of you who have gone through incredibly difficult circumstances, and I watched you be joyful always. I've watched people walk to the doors of death and see someone go to the next life to be with Jesus. And that moment is not filled with no hope. It is filled with hope and it is filled with joy forever. So be joyful always. Second, pray continually. So the war here is being prayerful versus being arrogant. Prayerful versus being arrogant. Pray continually. There's a a young artist named Sam Smith. I don't know if you know him. I don't know any of his real theological background or if he loves Jesus. My guess is no. Um, Just saying. Anyway, um, he's he's a great singer. Um, And he's got this song that just came out. It just came out last year and then he re-released it in the past month called Pray. 
And I want you to listen to the words he says. He says this, I'm young and I'm foolish. I've made bad decisions. I blocked out the news, turned my back on religion. Don't have no degree. I'm somewhat naive. I've made it this far on my own. But lately, this something, if you can fill it in yourself, ain't been getting me higher. I lift up my head and the world's on fire. There's dread in my heart and fear in my bones. And I just don't know what to say. Maybe I'll pray. Pray. Maybe I'll pray. I've never believed in you. No, but I'm going to pray. He goes on to say this. Will, won't you call me? Can't we have a one-to-one, please? Let's talk about freedom because everybody prays in the end. Everybody prays in the end. And I don't know Sam Smith, but I think he's on to something. All right? Everybody prays in the end. Everybody prays in the end. In fact, in our text, Philippians 2 would say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on earth, above the earth, on earth, and below the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? We will all bend a knee to Jesus whether we want to or not. But prayer is saying, I'm going to bend my knee to you, Jesus. Prayer is a posture of the heart, a humble conversation that speaks to the author and perfecter of life. And the heart of prayer, I believe, often comes from the understanding that I don't know. You understand that? Are you with me on this? We pray because we don't know. If you're honest, you go, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do in this moment. It's, I, I don't have this anymore. I don't got this. And this, this turns us to prayer. It turns us to crying out for the Lord, to communing with the Lord, to hearing the voice of God. Because I don't know, but here's, here's the deal. Somebody does. Somebody does. And so this is why we pray. I don't know, but somebody does. And this is why we're committed to this vision throughout 2018. If you're part of this church body, you've been hearing me talk about this a lot. Our whole year is based around this idea that we want to listen for the voice of God through his word and through prayer. And so every single series has been Bible memory verse and Bible driven and then prayer driven and then Bible driven and then prayer driven. Next series after this is going to be prayer driven. And then the next series after that's going to be Bible driven. And then the next series after that's going to be prayer driven. And we might go into 2019 because I'm loving this so much. Okay. But for 2018, we have said we are committed to listening for the voice of God. We're committed to praying continually. But there's an enemy to this, to this commitment that we've made as a church. And I have felt him stronger than I've ever felt him in the past uh, three years as, as your pastor. And he's been whispering this to me. He's been whispering this. You don't need to pray that much. You just need to pray occasionally. You don't even need to pray at all. Certainly not continually. Because listen, listen, you guys have had a really good three years. It's been good. You're on year four. Things are good. Our budget's like doubled in size in the last four years. Our attendance has doubled in size in the past four years. We could stand back and say, man, we've done a really good job. It's been a really good way to go, Big Sky Christian Fellowship. We could break our arms, patting ourselves on the back, right? And this whisper in my ear has been the whisper of the devil saying, you don't, you don't need, you've got too much to do. 
to pray. You're too busy. You're too important. You guys don't need to pray. Don't encourage your church to pray. Don't pray with your church members. Don't do that. Just do it occasionally, if at all. And see, Satan is the enemy of prayer, and and he whispers these things to you. Bill Hybels wrote this book called Too Busy, Too Busy Not to Pray. It's a great, 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 right? Too Busy Not to Pray. In it, he cites some of the great theologians throughout history, Luther, uh, Calvin, Haas, Haas, um, all of these great theologians who um, would spend hours and hours and hours in prayer. They begin every single day communing with God because they were fully aware of how much they needed to lean upon God and the humble place that they needed to be in to do any sort of ministry for and with God. And the fact that if the Spirit of God wasn't alive and well in their life, there was nothing that they could do. And so Bill Hybels says, you're too busy not to pray. See, we, we, we don't pray because we, we, we think we're too busy, we're too important, too much rests on us, and we just don't have time to pray, and nothing could be further from the truth. I was thinking about this, uh, this statement that I think kind of connects with prayer, and it's this. I believe heaven begins, I believe heaven begins with this statement coming out of our lips. I need you, God. I need you, God. And I also think that hell begins with the statement, I don't need you, God. I believe that heaven begins with the statement, I need you, God. And that hell begins with the statement, I don't need you, God. I don't need to be prayerful. I got this on my own. I can be arrogant about this. I've got this. And so God would say to us, choose heaven. Choose a bended knee towards me. Choose a need for me all of your life. Pray continually. What do you want, God? In every moment, in every second, pray continually. Last but not least, thankful versus I got entitled up there, but in my notes, I rewrote this. I have entitled, or what I really got to was discontent. So just scrape that out, put discontent, all right? Thankful versus discontent. He says this, be thankful in all circumstances. Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances. You've been given better than you deserve. You've been given so much better than you deserve. I've been given so much better than I deserve. Come on. Just let's look at this for a moment. Okay, can we? Can we do that? You were staring at it anyway. We were in that moment, the lull in the sermon, where you're like, oh, this is staring out. Okay. We have more than we've been given. Right? I mean, especially here in Big Sky, we are the 1%. We're the 1% of wealth in all of America. You drove here in a car. You got a second car at home. You got a hot meal. You, you got some sort of roof over your head. You are blessed beyond belief. Right? My cousin just adopted a little boy from Ethiopia. He has no idea about all the toys that they got. He just doesn't, he doesn't get it. There's so many toys. And, he, and he's just, he was used to playing in the dirt. That's what he was doing. Right? You have been given more than you deserve. Beyond that, for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we have been given grace. 
For all the sins, past, present, and future, we have been given grace. We didn't hit the mark. We miss the mark every time. We miss the perfection of God every single time. And yet God says, grace upon grace upon grace. You have given more than you deserve. And so it should lead us to being thankful. Should lead us to being thankful. We have, we have this deep-seated thanks that should be within us. We have this simple thanks that should be in us. Listen to this, right? Okay, if I said to you, hey, you going to the park later today? Where am I talking about? What? Say it louder. Yellowstone, correct. In other cities, they don't say that. If, the, if you say, where are you going today? And they say the park, what they mean is up the street where the slides are, okay? You have been given more than you deserve. You got me? So be thankful in all circumstances. The enemy of this is, um, I, I believe that part of it is entitlement, but, but more of it I think is discontent. I'm not content with what I've been given. I'm not pleased with what I've been given. I need more. I deserve more. I want more. Uh, here's the proof in the purchase. We just went through Financial Peace University, some of us in the church, and the debt crisis in America is crazy. It's crazy, right? Just our government, okay? The United States of America owes, checked it this morning, $21 trillion, okay? I don't even know how to like wrap my mind around trillion dollars. It would fill this whole sanctuary lots and lots of times if you just stacked up dollar bills. 21 trillion times. And we all sit around and we go, you know what? If I was in the government, I'd do a better job. Well, guess what? You wouldn't because Americans, this is American households, individuals, individuals actually, not households, American individuals are averaging right now over $100,000 in debt. Every single American in, 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 in our country. Which means that we're about $13 trillion in debt. Right? So when, when you say, well, I could do it better than the government, no, you couldn't. Right? We're maybe a little bit better. Like uh, $8 trillion better. Okay? Which not, that doesn't really matter. When you're in the trillions, it doesn't matter. You've done a bad job. Okay? trillion in debt. And do you know why we have this debt? Not all of it, but most of it. Because we're not happy with what we've been given. We're not content with what we have. We need something bigger and better and faster and stronger. We need need to live the American dream, even if it costs us all these credit cards and all all this debt. And we we just spend it, 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 because I deserve it. You've been given better than you deserve. And you should be thankful. I mean, listen, if the, I hate to say it this way, but like, if the government and if the American people were just more grateful for what they have instead of always pining for the next big thing, we wouldn't be talking about trillions of dollars today. We wouldn't need the government to figure this out. We can figure this out, right? So thankful versus being entitled. Thankful versus being content or discontent. Give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, same with me. Be joyful. Be prayerful. Be thankful. Let's say it together. Be joyful. Be prayerful. Be thankful. When? Always. There you go. Always. And this is the challenge. Live it out 24-7. Every single moment. And that doesn't sound simple. That sounds hard to me. Okay? 
Right? Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. I kind of wrap my head around that. But doing it all the time. Right? I was trying to look for the Greek on the words that followed these phrases. Right? (laughs) Be joyful always actually means always, unfortunately. Right? Pray continually means all the time. Uh, You know, give thanks in all circumstances means always. Whatever your circumstance, okay? So there was, no, there was no Greek that opened my mind to how this should be. It, it's simply this. This is how we should live it all the time, 24-7. 24-7. And if you're tempted to think, oh, Paul, oh, Paul, you must have, I mean, Paul, you wrote, most, you wrote a bunch of the New Testament. You had a good, Paul. No, 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 no. Paul didn't have it good. He wrote this, and I want to encourage you to read this. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, you could read it in a half an hour this afternoon, right? He wrote this letter to uh, a town in Thessalonica. And if you want to know a little history on the town of Thessalonica, go to Acts 16 and 17, where, where it talks about uh, Paul traveling through that area and planting churches throughout that area. And in Acts 16, here's what happens to Paul. Paul gets taken to the authorities... Paul gets whipped, beaten like crazy till he's bleeding. He gets put in jail. And then not only does he get put in jail, but he gets chained to the wall in jail. And I, and I, I, I might be misquoting. I think it's 16, in chapter 16. Uh, Paul, and, uh, Paul and Silas, I believe. Paul and Silas are in the uh, prison. And, and, and if you were in prison and you were beat up and you were chained to the wall and you'd just been that because you believed and talked about Jesus a lot, do you think you'd be happy? I mean, I don't know if I would. But what it tells us in that passage is that there they are at midnight, at midnight, in this painful moment when they're, in, they're chained to the wall, behind bars, when, when, when hope seems far away. And what do they do? You've got to look this up. They start singing. Some of you know this, right? They start a worship service in the jail, right? They're like, come on, Chris Tomlin, we're going to sing us some music, all right? I don't know what they're singing. Maybe they're singing a hymn, All Creatures of a God King. Who knows what they're singing? They're singing something. They're praising God. They're worshiping God in the worst of all moments. So if you're tempted to say, oh, that's nice, Paul. Those are nice words and nice moments. No, no, no. When you are at midnight, do you understand me? When you're at midnight, look at me. When you're at midnight, you will be at midnight. One day, if you haven't already been there, you will be at midnight, chained to the wall, behind the doors, with no hope. And the question is, can you embrace being joyful, being prayerful, being thankful 24-7? How do we do that? How do we do that? I want to invite the kiddos to come on in, because we're going to transition into communion. Oh, look at this. Moms, you got hooked up. Find your mamas. Oh, look at that. And leading us today uh, in base camp was Amber Miller and her who? who? Her mama. Can we get a round of applause for her? Come on. Thank you. Okay. Okay, kiddos. Are you with me, kiddos? Kiddos, with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Did you learn a lot? Did you have fun? All right, good. You got your mom some flowers? Well done, all right? We're on our last point here. Here's what we've been talking about, okay? We're going to ask the adults to help you, okay? Adults, help the kids, teach the kids what we've been learning. Be what? 
joyful, be prayerful, and be thankful. And you kids, you understand that, right? You're like, oh, that's easy. It's, it'll get complicated when you get older, okay? Be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful. And the question we just asked was, how do we do that? And here's how we do that. We do that by asking this question. How full am I? How full am I? So, I was trying to come up with a, a, a way to finish this sermon out. And, um, and I was dwelling upon these passages where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I was dwelling upon a, a past sermon by Don for the fruit of the Spirit. Right? We, need to, we, need, we don't produce the fruit on our own. That God produces the fruit in us. I was reflecting on the statement by Piper saying that's the Holy Spirit in us that reveals to us the beauty of Jesus in the Word and in the world. And I came around this passage, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I thought, man, I don't think I can be joyful, be prayerful, and be thankful on my own. I think I, think I, I need to be more full. Thankful. Prayer, full. Joy, full. And sometimes I'm running on empty. And Thursday morning before worship practice, I was showering up. And I was having a little worship time with Jesus in the shower. And the kids were gone. It was quiet. And, and I was just rock and rolling. And I had this. I did, it wasn't this one. It was a different little jam box we had at our house. Because I have two jam boxes because I have more than I deserve. Okay. <laughs> and now let me do this for you. See if you can hear it. Okay. Turned on. Now, if I press the button right now, it says this. Battery is about full. Did you hear that? Battery is about full. Battery is about full, right? Battery is about full. Okay, so I'm in the shower, and um, and the song's playing. Um, Have you ever seen the wonder? And and all of a sudden it says, battery empty. Please recharge. And then it plays like five more seconds. Battery empty. Please recharge. And then about five more seconds. Battery empty. Please recharge. And it just like, it drove me nuts. I'm like in the middle of my jam session. Jesus, come on, you know? So I had to plug it in. I had to plug it in because it was empty. You are not made to go on empty. And Jesus says to me, come to, you, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Do you understand what that means? It means you need to be connected to the one who can fill you up. You need to be connected to Jesus. Because given your own self, you cannot force joyfulness. You cannot force prayerfulness. You cannot force thankfulness on your own. You're going to get beat up and tired by trying to be so good. What you need to do is be full. What you need to do is commune with God. And it just worked out well this morning. Because that's what we're going to get to do. We're going to get to commune with Jesus. We call this meal communion. Because it is a common union with Christ. That we find hope in this meal. That we find beauty in this meal. And not just a worldly beauty. We find the beauty of Jesus. In this meal. And so this morning, I don't want you to leave empty. I want you to leave full. Okay? So you can be joyful. You can be prayerful. You can be thankful. And so um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here and lead us in a time of worship. 
Our extra credit verse is this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Um, If you want to continue to learn more verses, please write these on your hearts. But what I really want to do this morning is, and I want to invite you into uh, a time for you to get full. A time for Jesus to fill you up in this meal. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with this meal, um, the bread here represents the body of Christ. Right, kiddos, you, you've learned this in base camp, right? This re- represents the body of Christ given for you, and, and this juice, it represents the blood of Christ poured out for you on the cross. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You've been given more than you deserve. I've been given more than I deserve. We've been given more than we deserve. We deserved hell, and, and yet he relented, and he has given us heaven. We, we deserve judgment, and he has given us grace. And this meal is a celebration of that. It is Jesus present with us, communing with us, allowing us to be full. And so I just, I just want to encourage you, don't get religious on me. I say this all the time. Don't get religious on me now. Don't go through the, you know, don't go through the religious routine. Get with Jesus this morning. Spend some time maybe thinking about all you have to be thankful for. Spend some time being joyful even in whatever moment you're in. Spend some time in prayer before you come and receive this meal. And then as you receive it, I just want you to be full. And it doesn't even matter what I want, right? Jesus wants you to be full. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. So, um, kiddos, if you've talked this through with your parents, awesome. And we'd encourage you to come. If you haven't, we understand that. Parents, you're in charge of your home. You're the pastors of your home. And so, um, but if this is a moment for you where you want to engage with Jesus, you want to say, I'm sorry for my sins. And I accept, I receive the gift of grace freely. Then come, all you who are weary. And he will give you rest. Jesus, we thank you that it doesn't depend on us. That the weight's not on us. We thank you that as we look at challenging verses like this, um, it's your spirit in us that causes us to see you and glorify you and praise you. God, for those in the room who are weary, I pray for rest. For those in the room that are empty, I pray that they would be full. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice upon the cross. That it is accomplished in and through you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.